This is Wade Major of the Digigods podcast. We have a great little um, interlude episode this week. We're going to be talking to writer-director Nick Ritchie about his new film, 1-800-HOT-NIGHT, which opens theatrically on November 4th and uh, has had quite a, a good festival run so far. It appeared at the Santa Barbara Film Festival and also at the Deauville Film Festival in France. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for sitting down with us. I think uh, this film has has so much going for it, not just as, as a film, but also in, in, in terms of setting a pace for what independent film looks like for the next uh, few years as we come out of the pandemic. Talk to us just for a second. Uh, talk to, this is your second film. Uh, talk to us about the evolution of this movie, how you got the idea and, and how the, the, how it actually came together. Yeah. Well, thanks so much uh, for having me on the show. Really excited to be talking with you today about it. And, uh, you know, essentially, you know, we, we, I, I did my first film, Lolo wrote and directed that very low budget, you know, quarter million dollar movie, uh, came out of that and was, you know, I, I had had a show p- picked up uh, at ABC Studios in the interim between between Lolo and and this next film, and you know was pouring all this work into this TV show, and then it just didn't get picked up, right? It didn't get it didn't t- get to series, it didn't find a path, and you do all this work on the TV side, and then if it doesn't go, you just feel like you're back at square one. There's there's no, uh, it, you feel like someone's just like throwing you out of the emergency door of an airplane um, with no parachute, and and so I was sitting at home with my wife, uh, you know, middle of the pandemic, as you know, we're all going a little stir crazy. Uh, you know, we're in an apartment by the way. And, and so not a lot of room to run around. And I said, you know, we gotta, we gotta do something. I, I can't live in this, this city and not be making, you know, uh, something creative. I, I can't, I can't survive like this. And so at the time we were, uh, trying to buy our first home. And we had just enough for a down payment. And I went on a walk with Allie one night, who's, who, who also, you know, plays the Ava, the phone sex operator in the film. And, uh, I said, what if we, you know, what if we took our down payment money and didn't buy a house, but, but put it into a movie and, <laughs> and made a movie and, uh, being the amazing partner she is, uh, uh, she didn't, she didn't blink. She said, yeah, I mean, what, what else are we doing here if we're not going to make movies? So, uh, I had this idea. I'd written an essay, uh, I don't know, maybe six months prior about this phone sex operator I used to call. Uh, and, uh, that sort of was the, the initial seed of the script. And I knew that was going to be the opening scene. And it kind of just blossomed from there as I decided I wanted to explore my, uh, my childhood through these, uh, through these three boys in the film. And I mean, this is a really, really, uh, it's more ambitious than Lolo. I mean, Lolo was primarily in one location for the most part. I mean, you had a, you had a very controlled environment there to be able to to make a low budget film. But here, you're you're not just dealing with a more expansive story, bit of a road film. But you're you're dealing with nighttime locations. You're dealing with kids. You're dealing with a lot of things that are logistically really challenging. Um, and, and to sort of outline the story, I mean, it's about a kid who, who winds up through, I don't want to give too much away, but it's about a kid who basically winds up on the street through, uh, in, in the wake of tragic circumstances. And it, it almost becomes like an allegorical journey with this kid and his friends at that point. Talk a little bit about the, how that story kind of came together. Yeah. You know, uh, 
Well, for, first off, you did to, to, to uh, confirm what you were saying earlier, it was a much more difficult process <laughs> shooting this in Lolo when I thought I was going to make it easier on myself. Uh, and and we, we can get into more of that uh, uh, in terms of just shooting with minors at night, et cetera, and how, how, how difficult that is. I have some uh, advice to give to anyone out there uh, thinking of, of doing this. It's, it, and the, the advice is don't. Don't do it. Shoot, shoot a daytime movie. Uh, you'll be, you'll be much better off. Uh, no, I, I, I always look back at my childhood and think, and, and I, I sort of, I think there's these different times where you come of age, right? And, and, uh, one of those times is where you truly kind of leave adolescence in true adolescence. Um, and where, where, where I was looking back and exploring some of, some of the moments I saw and, and I, I, in traumatic moments for me as a kid, there's, there's things that I saw when I was five or six things that I saw when I was eight or nine, you know, 12, 13. Um, and so one of the things that I wanted to do in the movie is see if I could condense this timeline down to one night, right? Just one six or seven hour period in these boys lives. And, have the audience really watch in real time as they cross that threshold into uh, adulthood. And it is an odyssey film in that, in that way where I was trying to, you know, or, or, you know, it's sort of using the, the save the cat parlance, sort of a golden fleece, you know, sort of structure where they are encountering certain obstacles and those obstacles, you know, uh, push them further you know, as they learn something, they go, they get closer to that adulthood. And I think part of the movie for me is a little bit of the, the, the sadness of that, you know, the morning of that, where you, where you would be able to look and say, yeah, they look a little too young for this. You know, why are they shouldn't be having to go through this right now? Um, and, and could I, could I present the audience with that, um, sort of emotional journey while at the same time feeling like there's still hope. Right. I, I think a lot of indie films fall into the trap of like, we are going to be bleak and I'm committing to bleak. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, talk about Dallas, your, your lead Dallas Dupree young, who I think is just an amazing young actor. Where, where'd you find him? You know, all credit for, for that uh, goes to Jeremy Gordon uh, and, and, um, Nicole Doro and Shana Sherwood are our casting directors. They uh, were fantastic. They've worked in, I believe, like kind of the Nickelodeon casting space before, done some more, you know, youth-oriented shows. So, uh, you know, to, to just a, a funny anecdote, um, when Allie and I first thought we were going to make the movie, we were like, we're going to make it for nothing, 60,000 bucks. Let's just go in and make this thing on the streets and we'll just cast people ourselves. So we... we uh, put out a casting notice on our own. And then a bunch of like 35 year old men were auditioning or like submitting themselves to play 14. And we said, no, okay, we're going to hire a casting director. <laughs> so we went to Jeremy and, uh, it was interesting because, you know, he, Dallas plays the lead, you know, POV, the, the lead character, but there's two sort of co-leads in the film, uh, played by Mylon Bradford and Garrison Machado. And we actually found them first, uh, I was so picky about Tommy, about the role of Tommy. And there was a few, you know, few kids in contention that were really good, had some really naturalistic acting skills. And then Dallas auditioned and I just knew it. I just, I, I was like, Oh man, this kid's 
you know, and you're doing it all on Zoom, by the way, right, Wade, which is already a little bit difficult because you're missing that interpersonal, like, you know, they're right in front of you connection. And Dallas still on Zoom blew us away. We still had to put them through another, you know, callback. So with the boys on Zoom and, and see them together. Uh, but even on Zoom at that point, you still feel like you're taking a bigger risk not having seen them in person. Uh, and so we did a, uh, we did a meetup at a miniature golf course before it was the only meetup we could have because of COVID protocols. It was just totally voluntary. Everyone had to wear masks and we met at a miniature golf course, the miniature golf course we shot on actually. Uh, and, um, and then getting a chance to talk to the boys there and spend some time with them just confirmed everything. I, I feel so lucky that I have all three of them in this film. Uh, I, I, I hope they uh, remember me when they move on and do these bigger and better things. And I <laughs> come back and, and get in the sandbox again. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they will. Uh, you know, it, it's, I, I got a little bit of a stranger things vibe at a certain point, like, uh, you know, stranger things without, without all the supernatural stuff, uh, <laughs> yeah. a good thing, which is a very good thing. Um, you, you started to touch on this too. And I, and I, and I, I was going to wait a little bit to get to this, but let's, let's talk about the challenges of preparing and making a film during the pandemic, which was already, is already challenging for big budget films. You know, we think of Elvis and Jurassic world and a lot of these films, which had to shut down and restart, uh, you, you know, uh, mission impossible coming out next year was another one of those where, just millions and millions of dollars was added to these budgets in testing and in shutting down. And, you know, the Batman had to shut down twice because Robert Pattinson got sick and on and on and on and on. So, I mean, we look at those films and the trouble they went through and indie films have just been saying, you know, we can't afford to deal with this. We're just going to wait. We're going to wait a few years and, and not deal with it. You just jumped in with both feet. You prepared this, you did casting sessions by zoom and then you shot the film. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, were the, you know, talk about what it was like, and were there any concerns that that COVID might might throw you a curveball? Oh man, let me tell you, if if one of the lead actors had gotten COVID, it would have decimated us. I mean, we were we had no money, so one thing goes wrong on this on this low budget of a film, you are you are in deep deep trouble. And I'm like selling, and I and we talked about it. I would like have to sell a car. And use the money to pay for an additional weekend. So I, I kind of gamed it out where I said, okay, um, one of the good things about our movie is that a lot of it takes place outdoors. So you've got these COVID zones you've got to adhere to. Everyone's got to be in masks, you know, crew, masks and shields. And, um, and basically, we were in a little bit of a lull, right? So there was like a COVID spike right before we started filming. And then it kind of came down. A little bit. And, and so we, we were, we were timed, you know, we, we were timed well in that sense. And, and that, again, that's not up to us. That was just the universe aligning for, for the project. But, uh, we only shot on weekends. So we only shot, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sundays for six weeks. So 18 day shoot only on weekends. What that allowed us to do was only test once a week. So if you were shooting Monday through Friday, your, your team has to like, test every other or like twice. And so my thought was, okay, if, if we only have to test, so we would, we would have everyone test on Wednesday 
And we couldn't afford like onset testing. We didn't have the money for it. So everyone had to go to like a free LA testing center on a Wednesday on their own, you know, accord. Yeah. And they all played ball. They all did it, which is so amazing. And it just, I'm so grateful to the parents. My goodness. Like they, they also deserve all the credit, but, but everyone just helped in this. They went, they went and did it. They would test on Wednesday. Results would come back Thursday upon, you know, achieving a negative result. You could come to set Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and then we just basically begged everyone, like, please just be safe Monday through <laughs> Thursday. And our, our thought was, well, look, if somebody were to test positive, then we at least had a chance because we were taking days off in between. Um, there, there would be isolation on set, you know, there, there, there we were the, the, the cast and crew weren't together every single day. You know, a lot of indie films are shooting six day weeks, for example, Lolo was six day weeks. Um, so if one person were to get COVID on a, something like a Lolo type schedule, you're almost guaranteeing that everyone's going to get it. Whereas hot night, I was kind of doing a better job of spreading everyone out. Um, and then it's just hand sanitizer and masks and shields and, you know, um, hoping and hoping and hoping that no one got it. And we only had luckily one actress that tested positive, but she had never been to set. Uh, so this was her first day because she was about to come to set and we get this call from her that she tested positive and couldn't show up. And I had been wanting to cast my friend Trace in a, she's part of my little writers group that met up, you know, a weekly. She's an amazing musician. Was just wanting to make the transition into doing some acting work. And she's just got such a great personality. She, she's a, a total crack up, uh, dry sense of humor that I love. And I called her up and said, Hey, look, I got this role. Would you want to come do it? She just, yep, I'll be there. I <laughs> got in, got tested same day, rolled up. Uh, and did a great job. And she plays the, the motel operator that the boys try to like game for a room. And, and, uh, right. she did a wonderful job. So, so we, we lucked out, but, but I can tell you, Wade, you know, as safe or as careful as we were being, I, so much of it was just luck. And, and had someone tested positive, I, I, I don't know what we would have done. I, I don't know how we would have dealt with that. Well, it uh, it worked out. <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely, uh, it, it definitely worked out. You you rolled the dice and, and and pulled it out, and you shot entirely on location in and around Los Angeles. Is that right? Yeah, we shot we shot all uh, on location, kind of ranging from uh, ranging from Santa Monica to to deep Chatsworth. <laughs> So it was a, the the location process was, again, we didn't have like a location scout or manager. So I spent the month leading up to shooting. I I was just driving the, I would, once the sun went down, I would get in my car and I would just drive aimlessly around Los Angeles and, and stumble across, um, a nursery that had these like dinosaurs. I, I, I wanted there to be these kind of tableaus on the film where you're seeing these very childlike locations, but that they're sort of like, that almost feel like a fading memory of a, of a, like when the kids are at that baseball field, 
they're not getting to play baseball. There's no audience there. It's night. It's sort of, you know, it, it, it's in the dugouts in disrepair. It's almost like you're seeing the faded youth. Um, when they're at the miniature golf course, it's, there's, there's, um, a few people playing, but it's kind of empty and they're not getting to play miniature golf course, miniature golf. They've been 86 actually. So again, like sort of sending this message to kind of being like pushed out of their childhood. Um, and, and so I was just, I was truly just driving around and jumping fences, uh, certainly trespassing and finding locations around from the hours of like 9 PM to one in the morning for about a month. And, and that's kind of how I, I found all these little, little spots, uh, and why they, why it was such a kind of wide range in the city, uh, that we were shooting in. So let's, let's talk for a second about this fascinating decision to do, uh, six weeks, three day weekends which obviously worked out really well. Are there any, were there any drawbacks to doing that? And what did you do during the rest of the, the, the four days and the four day week in the middle? I, I you know, <laughs> I guess what I'm getting, I'm getting at is, does that take you off your game in any way? Or does that help you refocus? Because there's an argument that goes both ways, which is once you're in production, you're in production, you got to be all in. And if you, you know, you take too much time out, if you go on too long of a hiatus, everybody loses the, they lose the enthusiasm. They lose the track. Is that this, this talk about the double-edged sword. Was there one? Yeah. Okay. So, so it was partially a decision made because of COVID and that we knew we could, we would only have to have people test once. It was partially a decision that we were paying everyone such low money on the crew that it would allow them to work like music video jobs Monday through or commercial jobs Monday through Thursday to uh, make up for the lost income that they, they, they weren't receiving from, from our project. Um, and we had amazing people, you know, people that believed in the project from the beginning that said, Hey, I'm going to do this for X amount of dollars a day. Um, and, and in exchange, I was like, well, what if I scheduled it this way? And so these things, these decisions were sort of coming together. The, the last thing, Wade, is, and I, I talk about this sometimes, like, I don't, I'm not directing a bunch of music videos and commercials, you know, I, I, I would love to just to have, get repetitions in, but I, I haven't found a, any ingress to that world. And so the only movie I've had the opportunity to direct was a movie I also helped finance and, and build from the ground up, which was Lolo. And we were shooting these six to eight weeks and it moved so fast. I didn't have any chance, like you just said, to refocus and adjust and pivot. It was, it was so difficult. And I, I, it was such an advantage on this movie. And I'll give you an example. The first weekend we did all the kids together. So there's some spectacular young actresses that were also cast in this. And they're the same age as the boys. And there's these like Marco Polo pool scenes and the hot tub scene. And I thought, how fun would it be first weekend is all those scenes. So we get all these kids together and we get the energy up in the front. And we're shooting and we finished day one. And I'm sitting there going, no way can we do this. There's no way. We don't have the time because this is all exterior. We got to shoot at night. It's, it's July, August. We're not shooting. We can't shoot. The sun's not down till nine and I can't keep the miners on set past 1215. So you're telling me I've got to shoot, you know, six pages in three hours. It's insanity. It's not even, uh, you know, it's, it's not realistic, you know? And so I'm that first weekend, I'm, I'm losing my mind. I'm, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I've made a terrible error here in my plotting. And I went home Sunday night after, you know, 
trying to scrub the location. I'm sitting there sweeping, you know, mopping, taking out garbage bags, you know, as, as you do when you're like producing, directing, writing this movie. I get home and, and Allie, I'm almost like in tears, you know, and <clears throat> Allie, you know, my producing partner on it and wife and just partner in life is like, okay, we got to, we got to talk about this. How do we adjust? And those four days in between ended up being a godsend between the weekends because I was able to go, I was able to just take the lessons I had learned, sit back down. I mean, I'm pulling out graph paper, drawing new schematics, creating new shot lists, calling the actors. I'm going back to, it's giving me now time to go back to the locations and replot and sit there and go, okay, I only have, if I've only got three hours of shoot and I've got my DPA, we got to put the light here because we're not going to have time to move the light around. We need to create a lighting scenario that's, that's maybe going to be more moody, but, but it's going to allow us, you know, that extra 30 minutes. It was the best decision I ever made for this movie. And I, I think for my crew, because those three days were so grueling, even though we were only shooting three hours, we would get there. We still have a full day because we'd get there during the daylight. By the way, it's a hundred degrees out, Wade, right? It's of course like the major heat wave hits. Um, everyone's just sweating and we're having to, re- I'm rehearsing because I want the camera rehearsal and we're presetting lights, hoping that, you know, once the sun goes down, they're in the right spot. You know? So, so uh, all that to say that some respite, uh, it gave the actors, time to go back and do the work. This was, you know, Mylan Garrison and Dallas's first feature films. Um, so even though Dallas has had experience on the television side, here he is carrying a, a dramatic film. He's in, he's in every scene, you know? And so I think it also gave them the beat to go back and do some more work and, and adjust. So it really worked to our advantage on this. I don't think it's a, it's a strategy for every film. I think like you're saying on a bigger film, like, I don't think you could do this because it would really be a momentum killer where, where for us, because it was so bootstrapped, I think we all needed the chance to go back, readjust and then come back. And so I, I felt like we were just becoming sharper, sharper, sharper by, by, by the end, you know? That's, I mean, that's great. That that's, those are the kinds of stories that I think we all like to hear where you work. Where circumstances create a, a problem which you deal with, but you the way in which you deal with it gives you added benefits you may not have anticipated. So the, the dividends, you know, exceed all of the expectations. That's, uh, you know, that's what we love about independent film. The happy, <laughs> yeah. right? The happy accidents. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's, t- let's take you to the point where, you know, the film is finished and now the headaches of how are we going to get this into the world? How are we going to get distribution? And you always think festivals first. That's where you always, your head always goes. And you have had such great festival exposure with this. I mean, um, let's, let's go there. When would we'll talk about that process just for a second? Well, when you're kind of on the outside looking in, you feel like festivals are impossible. You almost don't, you don't believe like, pro, you're like, programmers aren't real people. No one's going to watch this movie. What am I thinking? You know, this is all just a, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, you're like standing outside of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory and you're not invited in. <laughs> and, and, uh, so you just, and you don't have a choice. You just submit blindly. And, and I really, this time around, I really wrote some personal cover letters and I just really told the story. I said, look, this is me. These, these kids are me. I was that boy calling this phone sex operator in a low income neighborhood, you know, fighting for my life in some ways. And, and I think 
you know, I don't know if that helped. I, no one ever came up to me. was like, I read your cover letter and loved it or something. It was just, um, I, I'm saying that to say that I, I feel like I have this really like personal energy going into the submission process. And, you know, the first festival where we did a world premiere with Santa Barbara international. And I heard wonderful things about the festival that it's well attended. It's in Santa Barbara. So of course you're in a cool, you know, beach town only an hour outside of Los Angeles and it's, it was pretty star studded. I mean, you know, you, and, and you can't, you can't kid yourself. It's fun to be at a festival where you're seeing like, you know, Will Smith and Paul Thomas Anderson and Nicole Kidman, you know? And so we, when I got the first email from one of the programmers, Ernie, um, I legitimately thought I was being scammed. I'm not even joking, Wade. I got this email. I woke up at, you know, I usually wake up around 7 a.m. to do my first couple pages of writing. So I wake up to my alarm. I open my laptop and I like to do those pages in bed. So I lay, I sit up in bed. I've got like this pillow. I sit up, open the laptop and I usually crank out two or three pages of writing first thing in the morning. Well, I open the laptop and I made the mistake of checking my email, which I usually don't do. And I was like, oh, let's see what more came in. And there's an email from Ernie at Santa Barbara International saying something about like, you know, about the movie. I can't remember what it was. And I, I think my response was kind of curt and like, yeah, whatever type of, I don't believe you. <laughs> He's like, and so I, I'm not joking. I fire this email off. I start writing and then it starts to dawn on me. Wait a minute. <laughs> was that, was that a, was that a real programmer? And, and I, my producing partner, Zach, is usually awake in the morning. So I text him and I got this email. Seems a little, Zach goes, no, Nick, did you Google him? He's a legitimate programmer for the festival. And like, <laughs> reopen the email. I'm like, Ernie, I'm so sorry. I was half asleep. I, uh, this is amazing news. Um, so so what you find out, so, he, so then I meet Ernie. And Ernie's like, this was my, one of my, you know, one of my favorite movies submitted. It reminded me of the 400 blows. I just like, it was so fun to see a a movie get made like this with kids. That's like dramatic. And, and I come from a, you know, this background that it felt familiar to me. And all of a sudden you realize, Oh no, there's a there's people behind these festivals and, and you're trying to just connect, you know, you may or may not connect to them, but that really kicked off our festival circuit. And, then we got to have this really beautiful experience, Wade, where, like you said, it's, it was like the dream come true experience where, like, you're going to uh, Oklahoma City to Dead Center, or you're showing at Dances with Films here in L.A., and that's just fun because now you're having a Los Angeles showing at the, you know, at the Chinese Theater Complex, you know. Um, we, my dream, my dream for the film was to get to show it in Deauville. I, I've always wanted to go to the festival. And then to get that email, uh, you know, from Jerome, the programmer there, that we're going to France and to have like, you know, to have these, I, and I'm still getting messages just yesterday, a message from this, you know, French uh, reviewer who said, this was my favorite movie of the festival. I just wanted you to know I posted my review today and it was, you know, or, or people on the streets coming up and watching them ask the boys for an autograph, you know, and seeing Mylan and Dallas walking around France, you know, signing autographs. It was exposure. It, that word amount, that exposure so spectacular. It's been such a gift for this movie. I'm, 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 I just have so much gratitude toward the programmers and the festivals that have given this movie a chance. And we're, we're, we're actually closing, we're the closing marquee film for the Austin Film Festival. 
uh, on November 3rd, which so will be our last film festival. Um, and I'll be down there for that the next day we release. And today we are tonight at 9 15 PM. We're playing at the twin cities film festival, actually, uh, uh, which is really cool. So well, it, it's, it's been a magical, you know, festival experience. And, and I hope it's, it moves the needle in terms of just word of mouth. Well, and speaking of, you know, we're, we're contributing to that word of mouth here. So where, where can people see this and when? Give them a sense of the release pattern. And uh, November 4th is, is, is the day. Is it going into how many theaters, how many cities, through what distributor? Kind of give everybody that sense. So Quiver is our, is our distributor. Um, and then they are pretty much, you know, November 4th. Uh, it's a, it'll be available to actually watch, buy or rent, you know, on all the, you know, TVOD, you know, uh, uh, Amazon, iTunes, you know, I think there's, there's, there's so many now, right? YouTube premium, Redbox, uh, uh, um, you name it. And basically anywhere you can buy or rent a movie now in the digital world, you'll be able to get 1-800-HOT-NIGHT. Um, right now it's already available for pre-purchase on iTunes. Um, okay. So people can, you know, go and, and pre-purchase. We actually, so, so Quiver is, is only, um, distributing, uh, digitally. Uh, yeah. so we retained our theatrical rights and we're still talking about that. So it, it's, and it's a kind of getting down to the wire, but we're, we're, we're having some conversations with some art house cinemas in, uh, in various cities. We just were at the loft film festival at the famous, uh, loft cinema in Tucson, Arizona, which, by the way, amazing backstory. Just a really cool cinema. If you ever end up in Tucson, I highly recommend going to the law and, and watching a film. Um, uh, anyway, so, so we're, we're doing that now. Um, no matter what, November 4th, buy a rent on, on pretty much any digital platform. Uh, you can buy our rent movies. And then uh, we are in the process of negotiating our, our foreign distribution right now. So we've got some really exciting... Um, offers starting to come in from different countries, whether it's South Korea, Germany, Latin America, uh, France, UK. And, I, and I'm really excited for this film to have an opportunity to, um, you know, reach an international audience. But that'll probably come, you know, a little bit after, uh, after the November 4th release. Well, that's, I mean, it, it sounds like it's, uh, everything's falling into place the way that people always hope they hope it does with an independent film. I mean, it, you know the the offers you're coming in is those are magic words to, to just about everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, you always been hearing. Nick, thank you so much. Uh, this is it's just such an inspirational story, uh, both the film itself and the story behind the film. And uh, we wish you absolutely all the best going forward. Uh, this is Wade Major. Uh, I've been speaking with writer director Nick Ritchie of One Eight Hundred Hot Night. That's H O T N I T E. For those who might want to Google the name, and uh, we hope to be bringing many more such interviews in the future. Thanks, Wade. 